0: Forever!
1: Dog! Hi, it's me, Ben Blacker, host of The Writers Panel. Today we've got a really terrific panel that I recorded at the LA Festival of Books a couple weeks ago on the topic of teenage angst on television, featuring our returning pal, Lauren Unerick, the creator of On My Block and Awkward, returning pal, Gina Fattori, who wrote for Writes for Better Things, uh, for Gilmore Girls, for Dawson's Creek. Uh, And an old friend of mine, Dave Nadelberg, who created Mortified and The Mortified Guide, uh, which is a Netflix series. And we'll talk more about that on the podcast. Before we get to the recording, you may have noticed that some changes have taken place here at the writer's panel. There won't be major changes to the content or structure of the show. I know you love it as much as I do. But we'll be getting a little polish, a little upgrade that I hope will improve your experience uh, in listening to the show. If you follow me on Twitter or you've looked it up on iTunes, you already know what I'm talking about. The Writer's Panel is no longer a Nerdist podcast. It's now a co-production of the ATX Television Festival, which you know I've been involved with since its very beginning, and with the Forever Dog Podcast Network, which produces a lot of great comedy podcasts, which you should absolutely check out. Uh, They have my pal Rhea Butcher's baseball podcast, Three Swings. They have a great show called Teen Creeps, which is about young adult horror novels from the 80s and 90s. Uh, They have a whole slew of uh, terrific shows. So go check out Forever Dog. Between ATX and Forever Dog, we're getting, as I said, a little bit of an upgrade. This is nothing against Nerdist. Uh, I really had a great six plus years at Nerdist. It was a Really fantastic home for the podcast, uh, for almost 400 episodes of the podcast actually. So I do have to thank Chris Hardwick who invited me to be part of the network before there was even a network. Let me tell you how that happened. I originally was doing these live panels for A26 LA as a benefit, and we were booking these shows. And on the very one of the first panels, I sort of booked a month of them. And on one of the first panels, uh, I booked Jane Espenson and Damon Lindelof. And I think it it was the first episode of the writer's panel, um, but it was also the first live one. And we were going to hold it at the A26LA space in Echo Park, but they forgot to put a cap on ticket sales. And the room held 75 people and we sold 150 tickets. And it was impossible, especially at the time, to find a any kind of performance space that could hold 150 and not like 500. So uh, Hardwick had just done the Thrilling Adventure Hour, the live show and podcast, uh, which I co-created with my writing partner. And I was talking to him about this. And Chris said, as he does, oh, my God, I just teamed up with meltdown, and we're going to take over the back room there. Do you want to come do it there? It can hold 150 people. Um, So it was perfect. Everything sort of fell into place. And I said, you know, I'm going to record these uh, with sort of a notion of someday putting them out. And Chris said, well, I'm starting to take on uh, other podcasts to sort of form a network around my podcast uh, and have this sort of big nerd family. And I said, that is a great idea. Let's do it. So we were lucky enough to be one of the first podcasts on the Nerdist Network. Chris has been unbelievably supportive the whole time. Uh, Katie Levine was our engineer and producer and was incredibly helpful in getting the show off the ground. And then uh, she sort of let Aristotle Acevedo take over, and Aristotle was unbelievable as a producer. He really was not only uh, very patient with my scheduling conflicts and what a pain in the neck i was about when and how i could record this thing but he was also very happy to sit in the studio and talk about horror films and comic books and stuff with me so thank you aristotle you will never hear this but onward and upward things with forever dog and atx will be great i'll be at the atx television festival this year which starts on june 8th it's in austin go to atxfestival.com for all the details Uh, they've already told me which panels i'm moderating and they're so good. Don't miss it. I'm not, I don't think I'm allowed to tell you yet. It might be on the website. If if it's on the website, go check the website, atxfestival.com, and then tweet at me at Ben Blacker and told me, tell me that you saw what I'm moderating. And tell me how great it is. Because they're great. I'm excited. Uh, and I'm hoping to do some more things with Forever Dog as well. As I said, this is a cool network. They have lots of really great shows and I'd like to bring some more shows there. I have ideas. You can't stop me from doing more podcasts. <laughs> Stay tuned for that. What else do I have to talk about? I, when I started doing these rambling intros, which I'm going to keep doing because I feel like you don't hear enough of my voice. Um, I started do, doing these things in January, and I said, I have some announcements for you. I still am not allowed to announce those things, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, But I'm going to soon, I hope, hopefully we're going to spend the next month listening to a bunch of ATX recordings. And then when we come back, I'm hoping I can talk to you about some of the exciting things that I have going on that I can't tell you about right now, except for one thing, which is the Thrilling Adventure Hour comic books. Um, Ben Acker, my writing partner, and I stopped doing the stage show a couple of years ago. Uh, But we still love these characters, and we love these worlds, and we love writing this stuff. So we've teamed up with Boom Studios, who um, produced our miniseries, Death Be Damned, last year. We had such a great experience with them that we're doing an ongoing Thrilling Adventure Hour comic with them that debuts in July. Uh, You'll be able to get it at San Diego Comic-Con. I will be there. I'll be doing some stuff, which I will tell you about as we get closer to that. Um, you'll be able to get the collected editions, four issues of the image comic that we did a couple of years ago. Finally collected. Boom is doing that for us. Plus the brand new issue one of Thrilling Adventure Hour, uh, the first arc of which is a Beyond Belief story that we are excited to tell. Uh, it's really coming out great. We have an amazing artist named MJ Erickson who's doing really cool work on it. I think you guys will enjoy it. That's the only thing I can talk about for now. But you can get more news all the time. You can know what I'm up to. Plus, free jokes. I'm done writing jokes. I finished, uh, as many of us did, in November of 2016 with humor. But sometimes I can't help myself and I have to put something on Twitter. So follow me at Ben Blacker. Like the color, only more so. Uh, Like the writer's panel on Facebook. And please leave a review on iTunes. It is really helpful to me, to everyone here at Forever Dog, uh, especially as we make this transition. It really helps with the visibility of the podcast. Uh, So please do that. Also, I like reading those reviews. They've been overwhelmingly positive, which is incredibly flattering. And on the dark days when I say I never want to talk to another writer about writing again, I go and look at those reviews and I think, all right, one more podcast. So here, today, is one more podcast. They write, they talk,
2: and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, tonight or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh,
1: yeah! Uh, please welcome the creator of Mortified, Dave Nadelberg. <laughs> Joining David today, please welcome our friend, uh... Some of the teens she's written for <laughs> include the teens of Dawson's Creek, Gilmore Girls, Parenthood, Better Things, and some of the not teens include Unreal, Californication, King of the Hill. That was we're gonna talk about that teen. Please welcome Gina Fatori. <laughs> and finally the creator of Awkward and the new on the block on net, please welcome Lauren Unerick. Welcome, you guys. Thank you uh, for being here this morning. I want to start by asking you about your own teen years and the television that you watched as a teenager. Uh, What was the stuff that you were into as a teen? And what were the teens on TV when you were a teen? And did you relate to them? And Dave, let's start with you.
3: I think I would watch, I used to watch a lot of television (laughs) to sort of emulate, um, to kind of know, like, how to talk to girls or, like, how to interact at a party or something like that. And so I would watch anything, whatever, you know, I'm 43, so for me, like, Wonder Years or even, like, reruns of Happy Days or something, whether it was something super saccharine or something more nuanced, um, I would always use television as a barometer for, like, figuring out, like, How to act in the world. And I found that TV lied to me a lot. And that pissed me off. Do you remember specific examples? Yes. Oh, yeah. I thought you might. So, um, the show about uh, Douglas Hauser, Doogie Hauser. So, Neil Patrick Harris, for those who don't know, um, uh, played, he was like a teenage doctor. Uh, and so it was like part medical show, part teen angst pimple show, and it was very fun. But there was the like Stephen Botchko show. It was Stephen Botchko, yeah. And um, so, but it was, but there was like scenes where like his girlfriend would break up with him, and so he would be like, "I'm gonna win her back." So he would. I remember there was like he rented a van, and like. Uh, it was like a karaoke van and like he like pulled up to her house and he like sort of pulled like a John Cusack and Say Anything sort of thing and he, he sang Sinatra on top of the van, like in her driveway, yelling into her window. And I even back then, like years before all the Me Too E kind of stuff, like I knew I was like, that's super creepy and that will not work and it shouldn't work because that's awful. Sure. Did that's, it work on Doogie? It totally worked on Doogie. Wanda went for it. Yeah, and it's just like a shitty message. An otherwise good show. But um, I think we're allowed to swear. (laughs) Listen, hearts have been broken. Um,
1: So you were getting the wrong messages from teens on TV. Lauren, what were the teens on TV you were watching as a teen?
0: Well, there wasn't a lot on television for teenagers. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, there was. I was in high school when Beverly Hills 90210, the original came out, um, which I watched a little bit. I wasn't really, I was a little Mm -hmm. bit... (laughs) I watched a lot of adult programming, so I was not... I write about teenagers, but I wasn't watching teen television. I was watching teen movies. I was watching a lot of John Hughes. Yeah, especially
1: at the time, that was a much bigger thing. Yeah, for sure. I remember I had trouble relating to those 90210 kids, too.
0: For sure. So it was the
1: John Hughes stuff for you?
0: The John Hughes stuff that's now, like, I I just like... Sixteen Candles is one of my favorite movies. So I think that, um, you know, for me, uh, part of the reason why I wanted to write a teen show was because I didn't see... A lot of like, stuff that was reflective of my experience on television. And also, like I love John Hughes' movies.
1: And what was your experience? like? Where did you grow up? How did you grow up that you weren't seeing those teens on TV? Because I agree. I mean, I think we're, we're probably about the same age. And I think yeah. a lot of television at the time was so geared towards adults.
0: Yeah, and the teenagers were part of sitcoms you know, there were a lot of sitcoms like um, Growing Pains where you'd have real teen stories, but they were all through the prism of the family yeah. as opposed to through the prism of just the teen experience, yeah. right? I guess The Wonder Years was, a, you know, was basically yeah. the closest thing to a teen experience, but they weren't in high school. Eventually. Eventually, eventually right. they were in high school. Well, yeah, they but started was, when they were yeah. like 12, mm-hmm. 13.
1: Um, but I think that's why so many oh, of us Square responded.
0: Oh, Square Pegs, yeah. Show, yeah, Square Pegs was pretty good. <laughs>
1: Did you guys actually watch Square Pegs? I hear it I am old enough
2: to have seen did you Square watch Pegs, yes. I have to admit that, I guess, on stage. Um, but I had the same observation that Lauren had about there weren't... I mean, 90210 essentially did create this idea of the primetime teen mm-hmm. soap opera. And Dawson's Creek was originally pitched by... Kevin Williamson and Paul Stupin as it's going to be like and oh. So and then the WB just exploded with Buffy and Dawson's and it really did essentially create this whole new area of show that was just about teens because I feel like I mean I was thinking about this what did I watch and I was like I've loved Hill Street Blues. I was like yeah, nine. And, right. I would, and I grew up in the central time zone. So you could stay up till 10. Like it is not hard to convince your parents to let you stay up till 10. And uh, so Hill Street Blues, Lou Grant, I had this idea at 11 <laughs> that I was going to like be a journalist. Like didn't work out. But, um, you know, like just this world of TV back then, Alex P. Keaton on Family Ties yeah, yeah. was kind of like the teenager. You're you're totally right about the family sitcoms all had teenagers on them. And that's what you saw. So It was a, um, it was
1: a funny thing, too. I mean, thinking about like Family Ties and, and Michael J. Fox is a great example. I think that was a character that you love to watch. But I don't know about you guys, but I couldn't relate to that <laughs> character. Like, I had very liberal parents. They were absolutely Stephen and Elise Keaton. But I was not... Michael J. Fox.
3: You were not carrying a briefcase.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a very relatable character.
2: And I think Square is an interesting example because it wasn't a success. Like, there are DVDs <laughs> of it that are out, and um, I think the history of it is that it was. Uh, you know, like a Tina Fey-esque person, someone who had come from comedy, creating a show that was on during primetime about teenagers, and uh, but without, I think, really primarily that many adult characters. And the idea that you would have this just teen audience, I think, hadn't really come to the surface it yet. It doesn't
0: work in network television. It never has. I mean, right? I, I don't think so. I don't think teen, outside of, like, the traditional network model, I don't think shows like Freaks and Geeks, they mm-hmm. did, it didn't work. I mean, it yeah. worked. It was a great show, but it didn't get the numbers, yeah. you know, and the shows that our teen shows, even with the, you know, 90210, which came out on, was it UPN? What was it?
2: Uh, it was originally on the Fox, Fox? network, Fox, which right. Fox was the first of the, you know, Fox was the Simpsons back then. Fox yeah. was married with children in the Simpsons, and it was trying to be a little more brash, and yeah. yeah.
1: It, it's an interesting thing that, mm. you know, there weren't, weren't even that many stabs at it over the years. Like, there was sort of this drought for it. And, and so, uh, David, I want to come back to you and talk about
3: this idea My of... My resentment of Doogie Hauser.
1: <laughs> no, I want to I talk about uh, giving teens a voice. I mean, this is something you've been doing to Mortified for 15 years now, the stage show and then a series of things branching off of that, yeah. whether it's the documentary, the books. Uh, you have a new book.
3: That's right. We have a new. We have. A, we actually came out with a diary, so that if, if you didn't write a diary as a teenager, um, uh, it can. Add, it, it's a guided journal that I'll be signing after this, but uh, where it asks you questions all about your own awkward past.
1: So let's let's talk about. I mean, 15 years ago, I think we were post freaks and geeks, but we still there weren't a lot of teens, especially honest portrayals of teens on TV, and give the folks, for those who don't know and for the podcast listeners, sort of the the soft pitch on Mortified and where it came from and why that was important to you, to give people their teen voices back. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Um, So I started Mortified uh, uh, over 15 years ago where I I found a love letter that I wrote to uh, somebody when I was in high school. And it, uh, it was a very ridiculous letter. It began... It was, it was very pretentious. It was written on the back of the entry form to my school's poetry magazine, um, of which I was an editor. So that's just like my level of pretension. And it was called etchings because why? I, of course, it's what it's called. But uh, but the love letter began like this: um, "Hello, Leslie. How is your day today? Mine's quite well. I do hope that yours is a good one because what you're about to read may or may not add." an extra rainbow to Day's End. Oh, no, and and, sorry, may or may not add an extra color to the rainbow at Day's End. So, so I never, I chickened out, I never gave this letter to this girl who has, by the way, no idea that I have a career based on this letter. um, And that, like, people have, like, you know, met because of Mortified, people have come out of the closet because of Mortified, and, but anyway, so, um, I found that years later and uh, and I thought I would like to share that with Total Stranger. At the time, I was a TV writer and, and I had had some success and then in the rubble of what I thought was failure, I thought I would like to do something where I'm my own green light for once uh, and I don't want to hear these you know, no good executives whatever telling me these bad ideas. Um, I'd like those bad ideas or good ideas to come from my point of view. Like I just want to like do something empowering and so that's where mortified began Mm -hmm. uh
1: and, and can you talk about you know there's sort of a process to putting it together and sort of helping people bring forth the stories it is you know it's not just people reading from diaries it's actually there's a show to it there it's and it's a cathartic experience as you touched on for a lot of the readers
3: yeah we so people um they they it's a curated show so um People bring us their childhood diaries, and we approach it very much like documentarians or like journalists, like behind the scenes. We, we listen to people read their diaries, and just like a journalist might shape a story um, and look, for, and, or even like a screenwriter, like look for threads, um, we will do that within your teenage diaries, within even your poems, things that aren't narrative at all. Um, and we'll kind of listen for the voice, listen for like, oh, what did that kid want? What does that kid Up against, like what is he hoping or she hoping to achieve? Um, And so we have this whole process that's a workshopping process that's a lot like therapy, (laughs) um, where people just sit down and they open up. and, And it's very common for people to even cry sometimes during those sessions because even when you're talking about, like, I don't know, your parents getting divorced when you were 14 or somebody dumping you when you were 15 or something that just seems very trivial years later. It's, you know, it's big. Uh, there's a lot of teenagers in the room right now, but, like, it's big to you at the time. It's th- therefore, it is just big. Um, and so uh, I think people have this visceral, emotional reaction to that time in life.
2: And
1: I think that's why the audience responds, both in the live show and to the, the Mortified Guide on Netflix, where you're, you're presenting a very authentic voice of people in their youth. You know, and the, it comes across. And I want to talk to you guys about, you know, you're writing fiction. Uh, Lauren, you're presenting authentic voices. And I think, you know, they might be a little funnier than most teenagers we know. Uh, but it's, it also feels very real watching both these shows.
0: Well, I think you bring something up that's important is that this notion of this time of life, I mean, for me, it's the most visceral time of life. I, I, even today, I think of like 15 as the most. Colorful, Like, I can go back and have sense memory at that time. Because everything, it's the first time that you become your own person. You're starting to separate from your family. And you're starting to really identify who you want to be um, on your own terms. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're struggling to figure that out. And so you're having, like, the firsts of many things. You know, your body's changing. You're going through all these weird body changes and having lots of firsts. With your body, you're having lots of firsts with romance, with friendships, with confrontations, with you know all kinds of stuff. And I think the reason why, Mortified's so powerful, and so much of what you know, I was I was writing awkward when I saw my first mortified show, and it really uh, the mortified show really was um, part of the fabric of what I was trying to get across in my script. Um, because of, you know, I was just thinking of my main character and how she was going to have an accident that was going to be construed as a suicide attempt and how that, what would she be, would she be on that stage 20 years later telling her story and being able to look at it through the lens of empowerment and that's so funny and I can connect to so many people and I think the teen experience, because we all have it and we've all gone through these awkward stages of feeling isolated there's a connectivity to writing a show like that because it doesn't matter how old you are, a teenager can relate to it. And like so many adults love those shows too, which is why, you know, still as an adult, I love John Hughes and there hasn't been another John Hughes, right? So it's, you know, you still watch those movies and I still think Jake Ryan's so much older than me, even though he's so (laughs) much younger than me now. Um, I can't help but think Molly Ringwald's so cool and she's (laughs) Only 15 in that movie. Um, but I think it's so true, right? You go back and you're like, oh, my God, he's so, so cool. It's the older guy. And it's, like, so gross that I even am thinking about him that way now. But you it's feel
1: like, like a teen again watching it. Like, you of can course, put yourself in it's that It's, like, spain. this
0: real visceral thing, yeah. which is, like, I love writing about teenagers because teenagers are so, like, awesome. Like, they literally teenagers who are, like, fans of things I watch, or not fans, like, straight up are like, yeah, I don't like your show. It's stupid. You know? And it's like, oh, my God. There's no filter. I like, love right. you. Can we talk? Because, like, you know, I, I feel you don't get that. At some point, you get a filter. Yeah. I still don't have one. But, like, at some point, you get a filter, and you don't have that ability to just be who you are. And the thing about teenagers, too, is they totally know everything. And it's like, it takes a long time for them to realize they know nothing. And there's something (laughs) that's so awesome about them knowing everything and taking things so seriously, you know? And they're also, I had this conversation a year ago with a friend's daughter who was actively mapping out her social, like where she was going to fit on the food chain of her new school. So she was like telling me how she like, her only the only thing she wanted, she's a super smart, interesting kid, was to have a boyfriend. That was it. It didn't matter. Like, she really didn't care. I was like, what are you looking for? She's like, mm, someone who likes me back. Like, it was so easy. <laughs> and she just really wanted a boyfriend. So she was mapping out which girls she needed to be friends with in order to be that. That's like good she, strategy. She's strategizing. And I was like, hold on a minute. Let me get my pen. This is amazing. Like and you and I I think you really think about that. You're really kind of looking through the lens of what what are the things that you want out of life and you're strategizing for them. It's not I mean it, you do make friends just cuz you like them but then you're also strategizing other things in ways that are like really Machiavellian, you know what I mean? And it's crazy.
1: I feel like teenagers like Tom Cruise in Minority Report, just like <laughs> shifting through these screens. It, it's,
0: it's subconscious sometimes, too, which is so amazing. Like, they don't even realize they're doing it. But yeah. it's why the idea of, like, where you fit in, this, in the social scheme really is important. And it mm-hmm. never, like, high school starts in high school, and it never ends. It's <laughs> always with you. Like, yeah. You know, mean girls don't grow up, they just get older. It's a I fact. Want,
1: <laughs> it's true. Uh, Gina, I want to ask you about something related to this, which is, you know, you were a pretty young writer when you started writing for teen, some teen shows. And was it? what was the process for you in sort of bringing forth your own teendom And recalling that stuff.
2: I was actually not quite young enough, because season three on Dawson's Creek, I worked for Greg Berlanti, who was 25. (laughs) Sure. So, um, like, and just, we at one point also had a writer on season four who was 20. And um, so, and interestingly, I never set out to write about teenagers, and I've now been doing it for such a long time. But um, I did... I st- was going to do comedy. That was yeah. why King of the Hill is on my resume. Like my mentor was Greg Daniels who created King of the Hill. I was his assistant. The first episode of TV I ever wrote, which I realize now was about Bobby. <laughs> who well, I Awful. can't remember the actual age of Bobby Hill, but he's probably more like 12 maybe yeah. or well, 13. he's that weird,
1: like the most awkward teen, one of the funniest teens on TV. I think.
2: Right. So my episode of King of the Hill that I wrote uh, is Bobby joins the wrestling team and he's forced to wrestle a girl. And so this was, <laughs> Like I mean and I still the biggest day of my life was the day that I stood there in, you know, I'm answering the phone, I'm the assistant, and Greg Daniels just says, I have this idea and Gina's gonna write it. And so and but I really thought I was gonna do half hours, gonna do comedy. People were like, There's very few women who do this half hour thing. It's gonna work out for you, it's gonna be great. And um, you know, you get the interviews that you get and you get the opportunities that you get. And I got an interview on Dawson's Creek and I couldn't have been more dismissive. I hadn't even seen it. I was like past that point where I was going to admit I loved my so-called life. I worshipped my so-called life. I had watched it before I knew I was going to move to LA and try and be a TV writer, but I, I didn't even know what Dawson's was. It had been on the cover of Rolling Stone, and I didn't know what it was. So um, I found someone with all the VHS tapes, and I just <laughs> prepped super hard, and I got the job. And then I never got fired, because we used to joke that like if you actually enjoyed high school, you just you were fired almost instantly. Like You could not write the show. So and I just stayed there till the end and then once you do that the industry does sort of say okay yeah you work on shows about teenagers. So but
1: that's that's a funny thing. So did you enjoy high school and Ugh,
2: hated every second of it? Oh, okay. Like it was a whole miserable I mean I was overweight from the time I was like four or five years old so like there's no part of my childhood that was good um high school was actually marginally better I think than junior high but I was a massive overachiever and I didn't genuinely realize until years after Dawson's Creek had ended um that like I was Joey Potter and like I wasn't tall and beautiful but like the boys would talk to me about their love of my blonde friends and like that was the story of the beginning of Dawson's Creek and she was was always doing these extra credit projects to get good grades, which is basically how I spent high school, so I could relate on those two levels.
1: But and Dawson's had an interesting sort of tone and, and voice to the show, uh, which I think you guys can all speak to, but we'll, we'll start with Dawson's where, like, there was a very sort of self-referential and sort of removed tone to these teens, they didn't talk like teenagers, mm-hmm. they talked like right that was the
2: original but it still felt on it yeah it was kevin williamson's in his pilot he at the same time had written scream which also features Mm -hmm. i'm sure a lot of teenage characters um you know talking like adults and i believe kevin has said many times in interviews it's like this is how you would want to sound Mm -hmm. even if if it's not realistic to be that articulate um and of course famously i also worked on Gilmore Girls. And that's a famously hyper articulate teenage character. Um, But uh, I think tone wise, the interesting thing about Dawson's was that it was very sincere and almost nothing is left on TV that is sincere. And it could be snarky and funny at times, but then it would also tug at the heartstrings, which is really out of fashion right now in TV. That's not true. I don't think so. I think it's out of
0: I don't think that's not true in the teen world. I don't think. Yeah, because that's true. Because I would say that it's still, not that I'm trying to. I, no, no, I'm no. Sorry like we're having know. a, really. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry. I don't want to, I just want to say that like, I actually think that that's like, that's a bonus of like why I, why I still have a job is because I write, I write, you know, comedy with a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. And like, I would say my new show, On My Block, one of the reasons why it's so successful, which you should check out on Netflix, it's called On My Block. It is really good. Um. It's, uh, it's, it's, Is part of it is because it's so emotional, and so much so that the reason why we got picked up so fast was because we have this huge emotional cliffhanger of the first season. No spoilers, Um, and everyone's there's all these reaction videos online and social media about like kids who are like bawling their eyes out over it, and it's making them really connect to this experience and these kids and these. And and I actually think the secret to the success in 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 the teen genre as a, as a creator is to write with a lot of heart mm-hmm. in the network world you're right like 100% you cannot write any like now it's just out of fashion to write anything that has any kind of emotion but I think there's a <laughs> there is such a genuine desire to bring it back because we've been in a dark time of television where everything is Game of Thrones and someone's going to die at the beginning of every episode and so you just never know um, that I think that there's this I mean look at
2: Parenthood you can't say it's out no, of fashion when you have those that, and hardcore fans. Actually, the, and This Is Us kind of came on, and everyone right. was surprised except for all of us who'd been, like, working on Parenthood right. and right, understood yeah. that, <laughs> like, people like to be, you know, to just cry. real stories about real yeah. people and real emotions are very cathartic.
1: Yeah, But I think, I think you're right, Lauren, that that is sort of uh, key to teen shows specifically. I mean, we look at, like, 13 Reasons on Netflix. And totally. A lot of these shows are very sincere and, and sincerely sincere. Like it's not phoned in. Like it's genuine. It's
0: authentic. And I think that there's, you know, truth to the pain of being a teenager and that these kids, you know, like 13 reasons why is like hardcore, um, you know, where, you know, a kid is going to go through a lot and then she's going to kill herself. You know, it's like the, it's the inverse of awkward (laughs) (laughs) really happens. Um, I'm not making fun of suicide, but, um, I just, (laughs) sorry, should be clear. I do have a heart and I know it's appropriate. I just occasionally make jokes cuz I'm uncomfortable. So, um,
1: makes
3: you're a
0: great comedy writer. Just want to make that. You get clear.
3: uncomfortable and you created a show called Awkward? I know.
0: Um, but I think that like part of the journey of the teen experience is to go through these really hard things and to feel like they all feel alone. Even the coolest kids feel totally isolated, you know, um And they all, you know, every, you know, it's it's just, it's part of life. It's where it starts, where you want to be seen and you want to be heard. And it never ends. From the moment you are a teenager, you are starting to process the idea of being seen and heard and how important that is. And, you know, the culture of our world is changing so much now because of social media where everybody can be seen and heard at any point in time, right? And now, you know, we've given... And especially through the teen prism, we're sort of giving ourselves an opportunity in the media, you know, in this narrative content to show those voices and they're being really powerful. I mean, they are, teenagers are kind of changing the world.
1: That's true. I mean, I'll be curious to see what kind of shows come out of this moment, right? <laughs> yeah, and seeing yeah. what teens are capable of and, and the passion that they have. But I think you raise a good point that is when we become teenagers... The highs are so high, and the lows are so low, and everything can be so emotional. And I want to talk to all of you guys. And, and David, I want to start with you about like just capturing that. And I think you know you, we've all written for shows that sort of play that for laughs, and we're counting on getting those laughs. And I think Mortified does that too. But you also want to be true to the emotion and not shortchange that. So how do you how do you do that? How do you capture that on the show?
3: Well, so with Mortified, we. We'll tackle anything that a teenager goes through. And so, you know, very often that can be something that we might seem, see, seem like a softball kind of thing, like, you know, getting rejected for prom. But we will also tackle things that are horribly unfunny in a comedic context. Um, uh, suicide, depression, um, child abuse. Uh, we have a movie called Mortified Nation, the, the final... Uh, piece in that in that segment in that movie that's on on Netflix is all about a, a, a woman who's stuck in the closet she's she's gripped with shame and she's an abusive mother there's nothing funny about that uh, drug abuse um, at a very early age and I kind of one of the things that we like to do as sort of a challenge is um, I don't think life works as comedy or Drama. I don't think life is binary like that. And I think there, you know, as somebody, myself, who's dealt with plenty of depression in my life, like, I think there's really funny moments that happen in our darkest, you know, corners. And um, I love moments in, in for specifically, Amber Joe, the woman who wrote this diary that I'm, I'm referring to where she has an abusive mother. Like, there's, um, it's important to never laugh at those moments and belittle those moments, because those are important. Um, but it's also really important to show the humanity and, um, the levity that sort of exists in the in-betweens and cause that's real. And I think it makes the comedy more beautiful and sometimes funnier.
0: I totally agree. And yeah. I think that as a society, we are shaming the genre of comedy to such a degree that, because, and look, I'm, I'm so sensitive. I cry all the time. If you know me or you work with me, I lead through a cry trail of now. tears. Yes, I could. <laughs> um, I also just had a baby eight weeks ago, so, like, I'm really hormonal. So, um, but I'm on Wellbutrin. I'm just going to own that because uh, I don't want postpartum. And, um, sorry, too much info. Um, Not enough, why I, I, I write about teenagers. Um. <laughs> um but I was gonna say that like I'm I'm starting to get this To realize as a comedy writer who writes about tough things and finds it through a prism and tries to find some light and heart, like you said, through all of this, because it's the only way we can deal with our life trauma, is to find what's funny. And the funny is what connects us to other people who have gone through trauma, that together we can find some humor in it. People go through these things and they live in these private prisms and social media has created this amazing world where people can say anything and they can also ruin someone's life when they don't like what someone says or does and it's taken out of context and specifically in the world of comedy you know it's a scary time you say anything i watched a joke in my new show that was meant to be part of a girl understanding what feminism was i'm not even going to tell you what the joke is because it's like i'm not i'm afraid to offend you and um it was just meant as part of this run of 14-year-old 14, 14 girls kind of understanding feminism. And it really created this, like, anger and hate and don't watch this show. And these women were tweeting it all over the world and the show is terrible. Women who hadn't seen it and it was out of context. And it scared me. I mean, I was, like, literally up all night watching it just, like, retweet and track and, like, all over the world. And I was like, oh, Fuck. <laughs> Look, a show is done. And then it died because some other women started chiming in from different parts of the world being like, get over your fucking selves, get over it. And then it died. And it was like, but it was so scary because now my husband looked at me and he said, You're gonna have to grow thick skin. You can't worry about what we write. We gotta just write what's real and true and cool and try not to offend, you know, to overtly offend. But we're also writing characters who are 14 and they don't know everything.
1: You have to be true to those characters. Yeah,
0: and you might, like, TV can't avoid a racist character or a misogynist character at times. These people live in our world. You know, you write them to show and showcase, you know, what's not cool about them. They're real people. But if we can't write about these things and we just have this very banal landscape of beige storytelling, what are we doing in our society? And I think. Part of being in teen, the teen world is like, we have to be a little bold Mm -hmm. and we have to show the emotion and the comedy and not be afraid of it. I'm saying this as I'm like self-talking myself into a second season that I just got because now (laughs) I'm totally fucking scared of social media.
1: Really a good thing to keep in mind as as we do create content with teens. And I want to talk for a sec, uh, Gina, about uh, better things. Uh, because I think that's a show that has really refined this idea of comedy and and drama and tragedy and family and I love the the kid characters the teen characters on the show can you talk about that a little bit
2: that was actually what I was thinking about like the Great thing about mortified, I think, and I know it's real, is the specificity of it. Like it's just also specific, and great writing is always specific. And um, I worked on the first season of Better Things a little bit with Pam Adlon, and the actually the, I met Pam Adlon on King of the Hill because she is the voice of Bobby Hill on King of the Hill. <laughs> so um, I, uh, when I was the showrunner's assistant, and she was on that show, and we, you know, when she got the opportunity to make that show um, we got together I wrote a freelance episode and she rewrote tons of it as everyone knows that happens in TV but the one scene that I did write that we just discussed in a I wrote it very quickly and it stayed in is, is her with her daughters trying on clothes. Like they're just at like, you know, Nordstrom Rack or something. And the oldest girl who is like, this is why I'm so, every time I watch better things, I'm like so happy that I don't have children. I'm like, I've done well in life. I made the right decision. Cause like you see Pam with these three kids and Pam's real life is she has these three daughters and um, the daughters on the show are a little younger than her daughters in real life. Like she kind of just said, this is the age they're going to be on the show and um, it's such a real portrait of teenagers. So it was really fun just to sit there you know, with Pam, the mom, and we were just kind of riffing on things, and I don't even know how we came up with that, but that was just a super fun scene to write, and it is actually in the show, and it's just based on the reality of trying to go shopping with three girls of different ages.
1: (laughs) And do you, uh, and and I'll ask this to uh, both of you guys who are writing uh, narrative shows, um, in writing a scene like that, do you... What goes on in your brain? Like, do you put yourself in the daughter's shoes? Do you put yourself in the mother's shoes? Like, what what's your way into that?
2: that? That was funny. Like, the most fun about doing that with Pam is that Pam's actually had never been a writer before she did that show, you know? And so she was coming from this place of performing and acting. And um, yeah, we just kind of sat in her office and riffed for a little bit. And then, like, I just did, like, a rough draft of it. And um, I am used to writing. I've worked on... Essentially, story-driven scripted shows, and so you know, we really need to know what is every scene about. Because if you can't justify to like the studio and the network and the crew and everybody who's going to work fourteen hours on shooting it, then maybe you should cut it from the show. So um, Pam's show had such a free storytelling form to it that I had never had that opportunity before to do. And a lot of, I mean, obviously on Dawson's, like, there wasn't a real specificity to the characters in certain ways, I think. But, you know, we had um, Jack, who was a gay character, and I know that Greg Berlanti very much wrote a lot of that stuff from a place of his own experience. And, uh, you know, that was a long time ago. There weren't stories about gay teenagers on TV at that point when we were doing that, so... Oh, yeah.
1: That sort of suggests a question um, for you, Lauren. I mean, the kids you're writing about on On My Block, I assume your upbringing was not like theirs.
0: No, I did not grow up in Compton. Yeah. So how are you
1: finding your way into these stories?
0: Well, I think the most important thing is to make sure that you are representing in your writer's room. So even though I am a, I'm an architect of the show, along with another, two other co-creators, one of my partners is, is Mexican and grew up in Compton and Linwood. So, you know, to be able to, like, take my tone and my style of writing, but put it through the prism of his experiences and then creating a world and then hiring all of our writers who are from the world we're writing or having, you know, a toe into it from their childhood. Um, I think what's important now, you know, and it's part of it is just having representation not just on the screen cuz like our show is is a is it's a it's a POC show of people of color like these are teenagers there's not a single white kid in the show and cuz most teen stuff is through a white prism and that was the reason why I wanted to create the show as I said it's time for kids who aren't white to see themselves as the heroes and the stars of a show mm-hmm. and I want to make them smart and I want to make them funny and I want them to talk like adults mm-hmm. and but yet they still are New and naive and emotional and trying things on and making mistakes and so I put my room together with some mostly young writers um, and then I hired three young people who are young storytellers that are not from you know traditional backgrounds like our 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 world feeds kids who are privileged to be in writer you know like you everybody makes shit money at the bottom, and the only way you can survive as if somehow you're being subsidized in some other way. And so if you have kids who are coming from these neighborhoods like Inglewood and Watts and the Inland Empire who like literally have no ability to, you know, take a really bad job and live on their own, you know, um, you know they never break in. So I wanted to create an opportunity to give these kids a voice and a job and pay them well so that they could live. And their voices were so powerful in my room because... You know, we, I never. A, I'm teaching them the business of television, and they're teaching me um, about their lives in a way that I would never know, and it's been utterly transformative. Sure. Um, but I think part of what's going on now has to be, like, full representation. We have to represent. So I can learn. They're teaching me. I mean, they're teaching me more than I'm teaching them. That's just true. Um, but I want to make the show great. So after I write something, you know, we break the stories together, and then when I finish a script, I'll have all my kids look at the script. I, the kids, they're, they're adults, but <laughs> to me, they're kids. Um, they'll look at the script, and they'll be able to tell me what feels real, or we can tweak things, you know, That's so great. it feels authentic.
1: David, I have, a, I have a deep question for you. I have a feeling this will not be deep. <laughs> no, it really is. Oh, okay. Uh, so <laughs> we talked about how it's been 15 years yeah. uh, since the beginning of Mortified, and I'm curious to know, what, what has this done for you? You know, have, has it helped you to look inward? Has it helped you to confront your teen self, the kid who wrote that love letter?
3: Yeah, I mean, this is it's a very um, powerful experience for me personally, um, because I get to hear, you know, I get to uh, I read all the emails that come into our website. And, um, you know, I get to hear all these lives that get changed. Um, For like or better, like, and and as any artist kind of who's lucky enough to hear from feedback from fans gets. And for me, because um, my first half of my high school was, um, I've always been a very social person, but I was very very depressed. And um, I look at that time in my life, and I think, wow, that time in my life gifted this person this moment that made them laugh or this. You know, we just got a letter. uh, We got a letter the other week from this woman who said her daughter was watching our TV show, an episode of The Mortified Guide. And um, she came out and her daughter was watching a a segment in which somebody's on stage talking about how um, they're struggling with being in the closet. And anyway, the daughter is watching this and says to the mom, Mom, I, I like girls. And I, you know, it was like a, Huge thing to say, you know, to say to your parent, uh, scary thing. And the mom wrote us, and, and I was like, "Oh, are you happy?" Are you... <laughs> and uh, and she was she was like, "Thank you." Like I always knew this about my daughter, and like, "Thank you guys for being a vessel." And that stuff is never lost on me, and um, you know. That only gets deeper and deeper and deeper every time we release a new Mortified project that connects with more and more people.
0: I think you're doing really great work, Dave. I just want to say, it's as amazing. a fan of Mortified, you. you're doing really great work. And it's not just fun, because it, it's really fun, but it's incredibly... In, I mean, like, I've cried at your shows. <laughs> I'm crying. I've cried. So- I've sobbed, like, ugly cried at mortified <laughs> shows because there's so much. Through the comedy, there's also this incredible pathos. But it's like, if you can, anybody can reach to somebody to say, like, this pain you're in, like, use it. Like, this alienation, like, teenagers, if they have, like we have young kids in here, like, your shitty experiences can buy you a house. Like, <laughs> I. <laughs> And some butrin. <laughs> and some Wellbutrin, which is really cheap because I'm in the Writer's sure. Guild and I have a really good write it all, plan. Write it all
1: down. Um, <laughs> Mine it later.
0: <laughs> but it's true. And I think that there's something profound about, like, teaching people to, like, not be afraid of your pain. Mm-hmm. Use your pain. Work your pain. I'm always saying, like, thank God I was weird. Like, it's good. You know, thank God I, I didn't, like you know, have a boyfriend for a while. Like, I really got to feel what that felt like to want one. I mean, I definitely was not my friend's daughter. Like, strategizing, I found that fascinating, you know. By the way, the best part of that story was she telling me that at a dinner party with another girl that's there who's, like, the daughter of her mom's friend who also goes to her school. So she's new, and the girl's there. And I was like, she seems really nice, and she's, like, not pretty enough. And I was like, oh, my God. I mean... Harsh, but you, have you know to have dinner with them every it's a week. Game of Thrones, dinner party. I mean, like it's yeah. hard to be a teenager. You're assessing, like, you know, like, mm, I could do better, you know, in the sense that she felt like she needed to be around girls who were gonna get her the crop of boys she needed to get to get the boyfriend, you know? I was like, what about the funny guys? Like those are the better boyfriends. Doesn't, it doesn't care. No. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Can he play soccer?
1: Let me, uh, all right, did you you guys come up with any questions?
0: Hi, thank you so much for being here. My name's Bernie Barda. I work in books to film and TV, so I'm curious about, for you, reading books as a kid or reading YA books now, do they affect or inspire writing at all for television? And are there any that you've considered adapting or that you would want to adapt one day? That's a
1: great question.
2: Um, I am actually currently adapting a book. It's not a YA book, but um, Megan Abbott, uh, her novel, it's called Dare Me. It's about two teenage girls who are the lead, who are best friends um, who happen to be cheerleaders. And uh, we actually, I can announce this because it was in deadline. Uh, USA is going to make the pilot, so it's not going to necessarily be a series. But um, we're, yeah, we're moving forward with that. And uh, Megan is amazing. She's written like eight or nine books, I think, at this point. And uh, um, it's, yeah, I, it, it is the kind of thing where, like, I grew up in Indiana. So the whole idea of, like, being a TV writer was not something I understood until, you know, well into my twenties when I actually met a TV writer. And, um, so books were the things that when I wanted to be a writer at age 10, it was all about books. And I probably read the outsiders like 17,000 times. So,
0: um, for me, it was a lot of plays. I was a big drama nerd. I mean, I did read a lot of books, but they were like Jackie Collins novels about sex. So you all are not surprised, are you? Um, and, uh, And I I really liked YA, too, but I didn't realize I was going to write about teens. I mean, I was so focused on the movies and stories I loved. That's really what sort of inspired me. But I will tell you the best thing that I did as a young assistant in this business, if you want to write, become a screenwriter, the best thing you can do is read great screenplays. Uh, I'm totally self-taught. I didn't go to film school. Um, And all I did was read great writing through scripts. Um, to teach me how to write scripts, I mean, and outside of that, like she's come undone was like my favorite book when I was like twenty three and I fell apart reading it and wanted that to feel that experience in my own work, but it's a separate it's such a separate to write to read books to what screenplays are. yes, you can actually have that visceral experience through a book, but to actually teach yourself how to write the craft of narrative TV or film, I think actually reading good screenwriters is such a gift to be able to watch what they can do on a page, you know, and how they can execute something and to read a script that you can't put down because it's just, you can just see how it's shot. It's like unbelievable. I think that's like the best thing you can do if that's what you're asking ultimately, (laughs) like how to be a writer. Uh, David, you know, you
1: guys early on in mortified and I'm sure through the years used to talk a lot about Judy Bloom. And she yep. was sort of the patron saint of Mortified. And yeah, we always wrote that in
3: our program. Is that right? Yeah, the the official patron saint of Mortified is Judy Bloom. Yeah, She's actually... Um, and you've gotten to talk to her, right? Yeah, she's been to our show, and the best thing in the world is that, you know, we have people reading their diary entries, sometimes referencing... I think there's, like, a few celebrities that get referenced. Yeah. I use the word celebrity in a, in a <laughs> unique way because of the name I'm about to use. Uh, but, like, there's three people... Uh, that get m- referenced the most in diaries. One is Anne Frank, uh, for reasons I can you can imagine. Uh, the other is Judy Bloom, and I don't know. The other might be Pacey from uh, from Dawson's Creek, <laughs> right. but um,
2: he does not deserve that.
3: <laughs> but um, but uh, but so a lot of kids write about Judy Bloom, um, and what was amazing was at some point she came to see a mortified show in New York, and then she wrote about it in her online diary. Uh, about her experience which was such a meta thing um, and then we had something like that happen also with a member of, of the cure but like um, right. but uh, but yeah so uh, yeah Judy Bloom uh, is somebody who um, I think defined the teenage experience for uh, for I think kind of probably for all of these TV shows that, that have um, eventually yeah. Yeah been made in reaction to things like the saccharine world of leave it to beaver mm-hmm. you know
1: yeah i think that's a good point um she she showed us teenagers in a very real a very authentic way right that we hadn't seen on leave it to beaver and uh, sort
3: of and not just teenagers bunch. but even like you know 10 year olds like super fudge yeah, and, and right. all that yeah, yeah. for me uh, i don't know if you guys know who linda berry is but um linda berry's comics um were like for me, are the things that... Ernie Pook's comique is probably the thing that really inspired Mortified, like, tonally, and it's it's this, yeah. Oh, she, she's a, an amazing graphic it's novelist. It's,
1: I'm sure there's stuff here. Um, are there any more
3: questions? What blew me away when I watched uh, Mortified Guide was just kind of the rawness and the intensity. There's no euphemisms. It's very honest. And then what intrigued me about what you said, Lauren, was how there's not representation of characters we don't want to see misogynistic racist what but that's they're out there and and you know we look at like going back to the family times we see characters we don't relate to well how do we see our way forward to represent characters that we don't want to see but we should represent to see this is our society. it's
0: it's so, you're saying something that I feel is so important, and I'm also, like, I'm saying this, and I'm totally scared (laughs) about writing. I mean, I'm like, we should be free to write the characters as they are authentic, right? Because you can smell bullshit. And part of, I feel a responsibility to write things that make us see the world in a better, like, we shouldn't be writing about, people who are Muslim only as terrorists. There are incredible Muslims in this world that are not being represented to just being normalized as normal kids. They're being tortured in our in our country today, you know what I mean, and harassed. And we need to see those kids. But at the same time, OK, I'm going to Okay, I, I'm apologizing to any of you in here who like um, Orange Julius, our president. So, uh, what I'm about to say is that like this is a
1: book fest. No yeah. one voted for him. The most Los Angeles. important. I know y'all
0: read, so it's we all know how to read. We can here. all okay. But the thing that's been amazing about seeing who our president is on a daily basis and the shit show that he is, is and and that he has this base of people who just believe the bullshit is for the first time, because I think Obama sort of like said, you know, we all started being like, oh my God, our life is so much better. Our country is so great. It's not. We have, there's some scary shit going on and what's going on. And I also like don't want to shame the people who vote for him because they are in an isolated bubble where they they themselves feel marginalized. They themselves don't feel heard. With him, they bought into the person who was absolutely not them. And it's exposing to smart people that we have bigger problems, and we need to find a way to close in the barrier, and maybe Roseanne's going to do it because everybody's watching that show, <laughs> you know? Like, but again, the fact that that show comes out and is also sort of like this very, you know, like, like I can't believe that show, which is, you know, it's through the prism of comedy, but it's also very political, um, is doing so well is yet a testament to the fact that we still need to see the people we don't like. Right, You still need to see those characters I think you touch and have conversations.
1: You touch on something that I think, I think is important for any writers, but for readers and TV viewers mm-hmm. as well, which is nobody is just one thing.
0: No, you know, exactly. Like,
1: and I think you guys have all done this. Except for Trump, piece a piece of shit. Right, absolutely. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but <laughs> many different kinds of piece of shit.
1: He's
0: totally... <laughs> Lots of orange uh, shit.
1: Let me, let me wrap up by asking you guys what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited, inspired? What are you talking about with your rooms, with your loved ones, with your collaborators? Um, also, we're at a book fest, so you could talk about some books that you're enjoying lately. Uh, and whoever wants to jump in first can do so, because you all look worried.
3: <laughs> David, what are you watching? Um, I keep telling everybody that I think the best show that no one talks about is this... Documentary series called "The Toys That Made Us," which seems yeah, it's good. S- it seems very superficial at first. It's just like a you know, like behind the scenes of Barbie or GI Joe, but it's really all about how everyone at Mattel is apparently evil, and <laughs> it's madmen. But uh, but uh, it's amazing. It's really neat. It's amazing. It's on Netflix. Totally and I would sure. tell you what I'm reading, except I went. I just went to uh to Europe on a trip and bought like books to read. And then completely got injured and wound up like not doing anything. So apparently I'm just, I'm, I'm ignoring books, uh,
1: that just are sitting
0: in TV. my backpack.
3: Yeah. Lauren, what are you watching these days?
0: Um, I'm watching the terror on AMC. It's, good. it's no one's talking about the show. It's so good. Check it's... out my
1: podcast of a month ago. I have the Are you talking song. about it? I did, I you a... did you have Dave? I
0: did you have Dave Kajama it? Oh yeah. my God. I literally, we had an exchange. We have the same manager. So when I started watching it, I didn't realize it was this show. And I was like, <gasps> and I emailed my manager. I was like, please tell Dave. I'm obsessed. It's so good. She's like, here's the email. Tell him himself. So we started like awesome. emailing back and forth. And then he he said, "Well, how's your show doing?" And I was like, "Go online and read Twitter." And then like he went on Twitter and he's like, "Why are all these kids crying? <laughs> what are you doing to make these kids cry?" Anyways, sorry sidebar. It's that good. Y'all should watch all my blog and, and Book. Le- yeah, let Anyways, me let me say one thing. The about terror is The terror so good.
1: Yeah. Uh, which is uh, sorry, uh, book lovers. It is the rare occasion uh, in which the show is better than the book.
0: Than the book. Yeah. And the book is super boring. That, I, first of all the feat of what he. I mean, just. The production yeah. on that is like, what the fuck? It feels so. Just tune in. I'm tune not in. I'll tell you what it, it's about on AMC. <laughs> it's about these ships who are trying to go through. What is this? It, it's An
1: Antarctic exploration. And, at and at like the turn they're of trying, the trying to find. Yeah.
0: And, and um, shit goes down. Shit goes down. <laughs> it's so. Qu- it's like sur- it's a survival show. You know what I mean? It's sort of like. In many ways. It's so. That shizat on crack. I'm glad it's you're so good. About it's it. so yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> Gina, what are you watching?
2: Um okay, I am madly obsessed with the Americans and right. it's the last season, so I am watching that as it airs and I just finished The Looming Tower on Hulu. Is that okay? I actually I yeah, I had I mean if you I don't know, I haven't read the Lawrence Wright book. I'm sure in this case maybe the book is better, but I he's, really, he's really, really liked it. I think he's um, here. Right Lauren's in this right. room, not here in this room. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if he was, we have been wasting our time.
2: <laughs> um, I uh, and I'm trying. I'm not sure yet where I stand on Barry on HBO because there are many things that I like about it, but it has not won me over completely yet. And um, my book club is reading An American Marriage, um, okay. which is we're going to talk about next week. So, um, And uh, I read this biography of Vivian Meyer, the street photographer, who I just, I loved the biography. It's amazing. Great. So
1: People can check it out. Let's yes. uh, very quickly, and then we'll wrap up, get the plugs. Uh, you talked about the show that you are working on now. You're going to shoot the pilot. Uh, is there anything else coming up that you want to talk about?
2: Um you know what? That is that is it. Go out and buy Dare Me, Megan Abbott's book. Go. Read it now, um, or maybe don't really read it. Writer. But she's amazing, and uh, she was here last year at the LA Times Book Festival. And uh, yeah, we're it's it's so exciting to be just starting something new, and it is about teenagers. Cool. Uh,
0: and Lauren on my block. On my block, I've already said it five times. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really good. Watch it. Some- Absolutely, yeah. You Sasha guys should check out. Go outside, sure. uh, And
1: David, the Mortified Guide is on Netflix. Yeah,
3: you can find out anything about
1: Mortified. But tell the folks about m- the live show.
3: Getmortified.com. You can find out about our live shows, uh, our podcast, uh, the TV project. Um, we also have a TV show, if any of you live in Holland, which I'm sure you do, we actually have a TV show coming out in um, in September. Yep. Um, Go see uh, the live show
0: if you can yeah. in L.A. It's an event. please give a round of applause to all of our panelists.
3: Thank you
1: guys for being here today. Have a fun festival. Thanks again for listening to The Writer's Panel. Once again, my name is Ben Blacker. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker and tell me who you want to see on these panels. I'm always looking for new guests. I always want to know what television you are enjoying. Like The Writer's Panel on Facebook at facebook.com slash Panel. Visit me on Tumblr at writerspanel.tumblr.com please do remember to rate and review the writer's panel on iTunes. It is really helpful to keeping us visible, something that's very important in these uh, transition-y times, but even after these transition-y times. Also, as I said, it makes me feel good about myself. And what writer doesn't need that? Thanks again to Forever Dog and to the ATX Television Festival and this new ATX Television Festival podcasting network endeavor. Be sure to go to atxfestival.com. Check out this year's fest. There's so much great stuff coming up. I hope to see you there. And I look forward to you hearing me again next week on The Writer's Panel. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.